0: You know, as I was sitting in the seat, um, I was aware of a change that had happened, and the way that I was aware of it is all of a sudden the temperature uh, dropped. I was wafted with cold, refreshing wind. But the door had been opened and closed for maybe several minutes. I couldn't figure that out. But I did think even to myself that very often we believe that the door that the lord opens brings with it simultaneously the delivery and yet i was reminded there is that the door opens and very often it can be that the breeze follows the very thing that seems to have missed its timing is perfectly timed. God, I believe, puts us into that area of being tested in our faith by not necessarily the opening of the door with the mighty rushing wind, but the breeze that follows. And I think that some of us need to be encouraged in that. It's coming, perhaps just minutes away. I didn't get the shivers. I just simply was given an insight. The doors open. The breeze is following. And we do have to make a little bit of adjustment right now because I see Kiris over there. So we have some young students. Can I ask you guys something, large row of students? I want you to show us how well you can walk back there. And then the first thing I want you to do when you get into the classroom is you're going to walk all the way back there, single file. Do you remember that term, single file? And then when you get into the classroom, can you just have a seat on the carpet? Just plop right down and and show Karis how quiet you can be. And she's going to tell me how quiet you were. And I'm going to be so impressed with how well you did it. Got it? This is going to be exciting. You want it to where she just goes, oh my goodness, because you are good, all right? So you students right now can go back there. You have to be under the age of 16. Look at that. Perfect. You're, you're better than any fourth grade class I ever taught. And as I was pondering what I was sharing, and I will give a brevity of of an announcement. Maybe for some of you, this is a beautiful one-line passage for you. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. That's a familiar psalm. But if it's warming your heart right now, even as a fresh breeze touched my heart, then that's the word of the Lord to you. That's a rhema word. It's a sweet word that's coming in the volume of the word, and it's intended to give you a living hope that will be met with grace and mercy. That's Psalm 20, and the verse that that's extracted from is verse 4. May he grant you according to your heart's desire. Not maybe he'll grant you. May he. That's an affirmative. So date it and talk to God about it. Date it. Talk to God about it. Why? Because we're journaling through the journey. And in particular, the emphasis in Psalm 119 is the word of God so just for you to record that and then marvel at what God will do. Psalm 119, we made it to the close of, I believe, verse 48, and we'll be picking it up in verse 49 and go as far as we can. And so while you're marking that spot, we will as well remind the men here that we have a morning breakfast tomorrow. And that's a wonderful breakfast. And um, we'll have uh, a sweet word to be savored and time in prayer, which we need to do tomorrow, okay? 6.15, and we're usually over by 7.30ish, something around there. Thanks for the men that show up very, very early to tend. That breakfast. There were compliments that came in your service, um, and have been doing so in almost nine years now that we've been doing that. Remember when we started off just with like one little friar, and uh, and there you go. We have lots of friars now, but we also need some friar tucks, jovial, just big men in the faith. And those in the spirit who just enjoy serving the Lord. Great time to be here. Uh, Easter's coming up, and I look forward to this place being filled at Easter time. I would pray that that is a breakthrough for the church. That the church fills the chairs, fills the house of the Lord with praise and worship that the word to the church is a sweet reminder of, in fact, God's promise being satisfied through his son, Jesus Christ. It's a significant time, and I pray that for those either listening now or even the fact that you may not, but the Lord's listening, that he will summon people and bring them to a very important place, a very important time for the church, that we remember what God did do and what he continues to do he's promised us heaven and it is very near everything in the political and cultural scene points to that but most importantly the scriptures as well tell us that and so we need to be about the lord's business on earth there's a job to do we're going to do it but there's also a work that god is as well completing in heaven to welcome us there and we want to pray that as many as possible who have yet to receive him will do so so there you go lord we thank you again that we can hear your heart we can connect truth with truth and we can find ourselves encouraged in the pattern by which you choose to bring revelation to us settling us in the times of doubt, in the seasons of stress, those occasions in which loss seemingly has has knocked on our door. And so we pray again that you'll just bless us in a present tense right now moment of grace and of mercy, and that most importantly, we are able to testify that this is your way, this is your pattern. And so committing this time to you, we give you praise, thanking you for our lives this moment. Saints that have passed before us who live in the eternal, thank you for their legacy. In Jesus' name, amen. So Psalm 119, picking it up in verse 49 could be phrased at least to verse 56, and we'll make it there for sure, are the steadying words of God, words that steady us. That can be a naval term, steady as she goes. Sailors can use that when a course has been plotted and a destination determined, and that is, bow needs to be pointed at ultimately where it will lend itself to the outcome of getting to where it was on the charts to get to. I read in the news and saw (laughs) I've never seen a ship this big. Is it the Suez Canal in which a big giant tanker turned literally at a ninety degree to the entry and exit point and it's lodged there. I've never seen a ship that large. And I'm sure that guy's going to have to go back to driving school. <laughs> did you ever do the Suez uh, Canal? No, we did that four moves Okay. The Is that as narrow? It's actually wider. But it's, it's wider. Okay. Would that have ended your career to have put a ship blocking the world? <laughs> Not mine. It would have ended the captain. Oh. <laughs> I thought you were the captain. Okay. Well, you should have been. But uh, it was so massive. It was massive. How long was it? Well, it was long enough to block the canal, of course. You can't <laughs> trick me. <laughs> this is my press conference. <laughs> so, at any rate, Ben, you're here tonight and you take off tomorrow? Yep. Okay. Are you having breakfast with us or do you take an early flight out? Uh, early. Yeah. Okay. We do bacon to go. At any rate, it was good to have you here, Ben. And so greet our, greet our friends and citizens in Minnesota. Okay. Say hi to your dad, too, okay? Psalm 119, remember the word to your servant, verse 49 opens up. So we're going to find a redundancy in very special words. And remember is a very special word. Every Sunday, every day during morning devotions, we're remembering the work of the Lord. We're personally remembering what he is satisfying in our lives presently. We're giving him thanks. And therefore, when this is written, it again is not a apologetic, doubtful word, It's affirmative, remember the word to your servant. And I do believe we might have just nipped into that at the close last week. But it is, at times, critical that we remind ourselves that we are servants of the Lord. And the thing that makes servants of the Lord special is that he has also given us the opportunity to be called friends. When we find ourselves serving in the role of being friends, there's just a special zeal that comes out in the things that we do. I have been a servant under those who have not been my friends, and I can do really well, but it's not as motivational. When there are friends that we are serving alongside and a friend that we serve under, One who from heaven calls us his friends, while at the same time is not apologetic with regard to, as well, noting us as servants, servants of the Most High God. It does make the things that we do on earth meaningful. Our life is not meaningless, it's meaningful. And one of the reasons that we see such episodes and epidemics of suicide is that people have lost or never found the meaning to their life. But God is the one who has given and authored life, sustains us now in living. And even as was voiced before, when we love the Lord, then he gives us an abundant life and he gives us a life to love. The life that we love is authored by the God of love. And so we know that one of the attributes of David was a love for God that transcended his errors regarding God. That's important because that is in fact what God admired in David was his love for him. In spite of being at times, what we said in one of the teachings as of last week, a loser. He lost some things, but he never lost God. And it never took God long to find David's heart at all. And I believe that that is in part revealed in scriptures because David was one who fondly remembered the Lord and what God has done. And so very often what we are faced with are the predicaments of life in which literally the passion of the Lord is poured out upon us in those wonderful times in which consequence has found us, but God has made it non-consequential. He's done something essential in our lives, proving his love and a delivery, proving his love in a peace that surpasses understanding. That's what God does. But it does take eyes to see it. It takes ears to hear it. It takes the Spirit of God to quicken us concerning it. But it is God. It's undeniable. The world doesn't get it. Do you know why there seems to be, if you would, kind of peace in culture so far did you notice the tumult has kind of subsided kind of the nasty vindictives have gone away and other things have been tolerated that we say this is intolerable and the reason being is that there is positionally right now a cultural normative that is really abnormal in other words there's a replacement of God by culture, and it's lulling the people into passivity because they don't have to hear about God. Difficult decisions concerning God do not have to be made, and therefore it is, in fact, a sleeping culture that will be caught at some point in time unready, for the return of the Lord so you need to understand just because it's quiet seemingly there's a screaming of the souls because this kind of peace is not of God the peace that God gives us is in a time in which the world and its futility vanity and fighting against God And there's a breakout that's when believers are able to say not pleased with the way things are but i am trusting in god for the things that will be according to what his word remembering the word to your servant upon which you have caused me to hope psalm 20 in the verse that i gave tonight will be a word that will anchor some of you Steady as you go, steady as she goes. The seas are rolling. You want to make sure you cut through those waves. And though there's a tossing, your ship will not sink because the admiral of the sea has your ship. And he's destined for you to make it to the port of his choosing Upon which you have caused me to hope. I love that word too. We use it in the sciences, cause and effect. If there's an effect, something caused it. Well, if there's an effect in your life that points to the sovereignty of God, then you already know the cause. And you're able to give God glory for the outcome. And therefore, if the psalmist says that you have caused me to hope, that is a great line to link to. Sometimes what we do is we say, well, this is causing me to lose sleep. This is causing me to be nauseous. But maybe what we need to say is, oh, Lord, you cause me to have hope. Therefore, what cause could be greater than the hope that you have caused me to have according to your word? This, verse 50, is my comfort in my affliction. Many here today have found affliction to be very sentimentally linked with you somehow. There are bodies that are afflicted healings that are being petitioned for, losses that are breaking hearts, changes that God is not only making in your life, but is also allowed to happen in your life. And these are important in reverence to acknowledge that God hasn't left us, And it's not being done out of maliciousness, though there are malicious people. It is one of the things that earmarks the believer for an ear of God that's bent low to our cries. He's a present tense God. I was up till about 12. Actually, I think, actually, it was way later than that. Or earlier, I should say, two in the morning. And so, <laughs> with 2 in the morning, knowing that my heart was aimed to be here at 6.30 in the morning, I thought, I can do this. I can do this. And it was me just going over things relating to the past week, relating to the present study and for Sunday. But when my eyes did open... It was a quarter to seven, and I did not roll over. I made haste, like Hushii, to deliver my body to this place, even if all I could catch was the last note of the last song. I didn't even care what I looked like. I didn't even get an espresso. I made haste to get here without speeding, with a brake light that had been changed. Actually, I was in such haste that Everest and Spencer had come in and I said, I'm hijacking the car. Give me the keys. Because I had to be here. Not that anybody's keeping track of me. That was my heart's desire was to be here. And it's because I need to be quickened. I need it. So whether I had the espresso or not, I made an expressway trip to get here lawfully and to spend what time I could. I ended up, surprisingly, um, having fellowship with one of the brothers that visits with frequency. But there was another two brothers that were visiting, quietly in the back, praying. The house actually was very lively with deep fellowship and exchange. The reason, I believe, is that one degree or another, there was a comfort that we found coming here at different dispatches. So the reason that I emphasize that is that that place where you open your eyes, then it is the time in which the scriptures are ready to be open to you. And everybody's got their place. Everybody's got their space in terms of this is where I do it. Or, okay, I can't now, but over there, that's where I'm going to be. Um, You know, Rob, bro, for the past couple of weeks at the men's breakfast has been really emphasizing the discipline of staying in the Word in the morning, and it's been very inspiring. But because of the fact that I need comfort in my affliction, which is authentic, then I'm able to say, that's worth the effort for me. What if I'd missed? I would have missed, but the Lord didn't allow me to miss. I made it. And I was grateful, had a couple of singers up here that were just hitting the notes, they all do. But I'm saying in my time of getting here, the notes they were hitting are what I needed to hear. Just songs that were timely for me. What is the idea when there's comfort in our affliction? Your word has given me life. That's called revival. When there's life given to you in a time in which you feel death, that is revival. The Lord does that. Verse 51, The proud have me in great derision. Great derision, the psalmist declares, and he calls them proud people. Yet, he says, I do not turn aside from your law. No matter what they do, no matter what they say, I'm not going to turn away from your law. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to turn away from the things that you have taught me. I'm not going to turn away from the disciplines that I have learned to obey you. And that's awesome. You know, we had a praise report given to me just a, I don't know, 15 minutes ago, but Nick's getting ready to vocationally learn a new trade. So he's kept me posted and we've prayed with brothers at the breakfast and independently. And he was looking for a place. And he was willing to pay a certain amount to find a place in which to learn that vocation he could stay. And so today he said, hey, I found a place. You did? Tell me about it. Well, it's with a Christian brother or two and I'm getting it for the price that I'm paying right now for the place that I have in Brookings do I have that story down correctly now that's a miracle because one he's in fellowship with a believing brother who has believing brothers I know there's a place for them to fellowship but it's at the price that is better than what he was willing to pay to go over there It's half of what he was willing to pay. It's the same price that's already within his budget. That's the Lord, according to his word. So if he'll do that for Nick, is anything too difficult for the Lord and what he can do for you, for me? No, those are important. I read on the webpage today that Zachary... um, that there was a posting to to uh, have a piece of equipment that fastens on to the wheelchair and turns it into a trike, and I think it can, I think it, it can't go fifty miles an hour, but it probably feels like it. But it's handlebars with a stem and a pneumatic wheel, and it's got a accelerator and braking system on it. And the first time I saw Zach on it was on the roof. Uh, top at uh, Craig testing it out so they the webpage simply put in a all call to people that wanted to see if that could happen and I read that that in fact happened he'll have a chair that can move pretty quickly so at the same time in the same area I saw him in a particular Apparati that was at Craig in the therapy area One machine in another part of the hospital like called RoboCop This one. I don't know what to call it. it. It's similar, but it's an exoskeleton It literally fastens on the back and attaches behind the leg and so he was moving with a walker with this exoskeleton from his back all the way down to his legs. And he's walking and he's smiling. Did any of you see that? Okay. So it might not be, at any rate, it may not be yet public, but I'm just sharing with you that that's pretty exciting. It appears as though he gets to stay through April. How's this happening? Because the Lord is listening and he's believing And he's never once repented from his circumstances, meaning he's never apologized for asking God to bring glory to himself in whatever way he chose. So the choice was made through the prayer that was given, and he's walking in that prayer. He's literally walking in the effects of that prayer. So it's pretty extraordinary. Calvary Chapel. Why do things like this happen? Because the Lord tests us. Can we be cool in the crises? Can we do what really isn't our changing microphone batteries? I've learned to do, but it's not my comfort zone. But the Lord's taught me, just keep it steady. Hold on, you'll get through it. And He did, but I couldn't have done it had there not been a runner, a hushai. They came to meet me in my moment of need, at the pinnacle of embarrassment. And that's the way it works, steady as she goes. And so that's what Zachary's doing, steady as he goes. He was walking in a walker, scooching, smiling, and it's pretty awesome. There are other things that I'm hearing But how is this happening? Because God is authoring the life work of Zachary right now. And it is very likely that according to his word, Zachary may walk away from this entirely. That may be just a picture of what he may do. What's he going to do with that? Well, he right now is inspiring a lot of guys that have the same injury. They were just like he was. Tarzans, cut. And so it's only just a brevity of breaking from this to say the word of God in the time of crises. steady as she goes, walk one step, one step more. And so David is echoing this sentiment. The proud brought him into derision. He says that I am not going to turn aside from your law the way that you've taught me. The disciplines and obedience that I have been practicing up to this date. I am not turning aside. I remember your judgments of old, O Lord. The duty that God has for dealing fairly with you. I remember them, Lord. Not throwing the book at you, but opening the book of his word. To be reminded that God has dealt fairly with us. Pretty awesome. And have comforted myself. I remember your judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. That's where we go to comfort ourselves. Those are the walks we take to comfort ourselves. Those are the knees that wear out and the jeans that we have to comfort ourselves. Indignation has taken hold of me. Is he mad at God? Nope. Here's what we find out because of the wicked who forsake your law. We can't believe some of the stupidity that is being voiced today is truth. And it is stupidity, it's foolishness, it's wickedness robed as righteousness. And it's nothing new to God. And it will probably only continue to be more evident to us of the severity of godlessness in our culture. And it's not that the culture is bigger than us at all. It just means that the voice of the church needs to be more relevant today than ever before. There's a reason why that the Word of God needs to be projected with confidence and clarity so that a world that is seeing evil prevail in changing definition and endeavoring to dismiss God can be forewarned. This is not good, what you're doing. It is not right what you, or how you're behaving. And this is important. They forsake the law of God. Your statutes have been my songs. And I love this, that songs come from those areas in which the statutes of God have been sought after. The binding force of God to speak poetry, married to melody, to create songs that we in this generation do not need to be ashamed of. Oh, some of them missed the mark theologically. They always have. The simpler songs back in the earlier days probably had more precision in what they were saying. Certain areas of doctrine can be omitted and dismissed, but the amount of songs that are being written by the church today that exalt the Lord and make no apology for it is a great work that God has done. It's a very, very awesome thing that we get to be a part of I still love, Jesus loves me, this I know. But I'm overwhelmed at the writers of music that God is doing in the church by those who have ears that are inclining themselves because of the statutes, the binding force of the Spirit of God to point people to the Lord and to speak of Him in those ways that are very special. Notice this, though. It links it in the house of my pilgrimage because this is where I believe the heart of God is touched and the Spirit of God wants to touch hearts. When there is a collective group of men and women gathered, then the fruit of that as they walk in obedience is, I believe, the expression of truth through songs. And we're seeing it. We're hearing it. You know, when you see closing minstrels come up, that's a young and budding generation singing the songs that are being written by the psalmists of today. And they're going to be writers, and some of them have written, and I'm hearing all the time that we have fresh material coming, and it needs to be introduced, needs to be practiced. When you're hearing some of the stuff that I do as a cappella, That's stuff that to me is as fresh as the day I wrote it. But I wrote it in times in which the Spirit of God was very much empowering me to do so. And that's important as a binding force on me, saying, I've put words in you. You failed in English, but I have put my words in you and you will not fail me. I was laughing with somebody speaking of those things that really have a early life of failure, you know, repeating second grade. I was so happy when we went to go to the East Coast and Rob and I pledged that we would never confess that we failed second grade. And we never did I didn't start confessing it until I on one day in a fourth grade class, one of my young students was crying. He said, Man, I, I'm a failure. I repeated second grade, and I just pulled him to the side, and he said, I did too. I did too. You did? Yes. Well, look at me. I guess I'm not a failure anymore. And it turns out that this young man, he wasn't at the time. He was a 10-year-old boy. But he grew up. He obtained his master's degree, and he teaches at one of the public high schools. And he's a strong believer probably rocking 40 now. (laughs) It's only the buffer. Praise God that he's not coming in here right now. He's just doing his job. (laughs) Going, I wish I could be in a Bible teaching right now. The house of my pilgrimage, this is where we go. Blessed are those who set their heart on pilgrimage, going where God's directing you to go, being where God has directed you to be. That's why when these chairs are filled, people are here. When they're not filled, they're somewhere. (laughs) And we want to pray that they are filled once again. I... Look forward to the predicament of one day. What do we do with all these people? But it's fun, though, still to teach people that are here, whether it's full or not, that they want to be filled with the Word of God. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and I keep your law. This has become mine because I kept my precepts. It's not unusual that because this is voiced that in the night the Lord prompts thoughts of him, and evaluations of your life. To some degree or another, that can be a nightmare. It can be at times challenging to reckon in the night hours what God is doing with you, but you stay the course. You make sure that he holds you in place. And only when he has made it abundantly clear that there's a new place, that you are certain to make sure that course will be set and your place of pilgrimage will be to the house of God. I am confident that Nick will do that. And if he ever needs to have, one, an encouragement of where to go, I can give him those places, but he's... A young man who has been with us a long time, and he is one who knows the word and what it means to be in a house that worships God in spirit and in truth. This has become mine because I kept your precepts. All the things that have become yours is because you kept his precepts. There's nothing about this as because you failed I've decided to just heap on things in spite of it. God does do that, and that's grace. But it does indicate that God takes an inventory, and the psalmist was able to say that because of these precepts, these close examinations of the details of my life with regard to what you want me to do, I am able to say, I'm able to say, you've kept me you've kept me. I keep your law, the teachings, the acts of obedience, the precepts, under close examination of God. I hear you, Lord. I see you. I understand. Moving into verse 57, you are my portion, O Lord. I have said that I would keep your words. I wonder if God would delight to hear that more frequently, as opposed to, patch the mashed potatoes, please, and include the gravy. Hey, is there any more steak on the grill? Those things we delight in, and God's made provision for it. But I wonder if God is just waiting for this line to come out at the next barbecue, the next meal, the next breakfast, maybe tomorrow. You are my portion, O Lord. Lord. And then he says, good, now enjoy your portion. Enjoy it even more fully because of that acknowledgement. I've said that I would keep your words. I entreated, verse 58, your favor with my whole heart. Remember, passages ago it said don't have a divided heart. And this is saying that right now, in the keeping of his words, we entreat his favor with our whole heart. Don't have a divided heart. Don't, don't ask yourself, is that too much to ask of God? Say, God, with my whole heart, I've entreated your favor, and I believe you for it, with my whole heart. And God hears that, and it's honorable to him. It's pleasing to the Lord. The acknowledgment is that God has favor towards you. So favor God in mentioning that to him. It's a very special phrase. And then in the conclusion of 58, be merciful to me according to your word. Meaning, this is what I've done with my whole heart. But at times my heart I recognize is deceitful. It's wicked. There's stuff in it that's still coming out of it, Lord. But I acknowledge your mercy. I didn't get what I deserved. Sometimes, even in what we know to be true, that to sow to the flesh, we can reap of the flesh, and we can reap, if we sow to the wind, the whirlwind. But I also believe that those whirlwinds are gauged in whether they have a numerical gauging of how severe they are. And I believe that every one of us, though we may say, I remember the whirlwind that came because I sowed to the wind, it was not in the force that it could have been, and that's mercy. We need to understand that. The whirlwind that could have come came as a breeze. I'm reminded of that every time a breeze hits my face. Angels on dispatch to take care of a bigger case than me. Praise the Lord. Or to be able to sit there and go, that was a breeze, and mean it. The Lord has been merciful to me. One of the things that I don't necessarily think I've shared publicly, but I, I don't mind sharing this, it, it shows to me a history of me acknowledging God in the time of, of saving through mercy, you know, one of my kids. But in particular, it was Zach again. We'd come from a wonderful dinner, and Zach had a bottle of water. And so to the van, which was parked away from a driveway, he decided to toss this bottle up into the air. And it went, because he was learning to catch it on some multiplied spin time. And he was getting good. He could catch it behind his back, you know, catch it with his nose. But he chose to throw it up. And as it was up, and just prior to him grabbing it, a car sped by at about 30 miles an hour. And we're talking literally where had the bottle not been precisely up and down, and he would have lunged for it, he would have been on the grill. I took deep notice of that occasion. And he didn't get a scolding. I said, God has been merciful to you. The mercies of God in how the timing can be, and timing's everything. But what if he did end up on a grill? Does it deprive God of yet the mercies that he has abundantly given? Not from his perspective. Not from his perspective. I'm just saying I took note of it. Haven't forgotten it. So another incident. But you know what? The mercies of God pulled from the surf, loved on by people I don't even know. The mercies of God, he's worthy of hearing that. He's worthy of us going back and going, Lord, I remember you saved me here. You saved me there. You saved me from that situation. You saved me. You showed mercy to me. I honestly believe that God takes deep homage to those accounts in which we say, I haven't forgotten, Lord. I can be a griper, but I have not forgotten your mercy. And when we account for the mercies of God in our life, to whatever situation that we no longer have an account of them, I believe that God does this beautiful work in us It's both restorative and also revelational. He brings us into the next point of trust and confidence in Him. To be able to say, to this point, you've been merciful. To this point. Therefore, I will follow you from each point forward. I will follow you. I thought about my ways and I turned my feet to your testimonies. That fits into that. I thought about my ways. And it's good to think about your ways. Are your ways aligning to the ways of God? It's good to take what? An inventory. Because there is an enemy and his desires that we no longer choose the way of the Lord. So the psalmist in declaring this is considering his ways. And then it indicates that he said, hmm, the choice is mine to make. I turn my feet to your testimonies. I'm going to review what it is that is your way, the way that you see it. That's what testimonies is to mean to you and I. The way that God sees it, not the way that I want it, not the way that I see it, but the way that God sees my life right now and what he wants to do with me for my life. My life is his. He should have authority over it. And praise God for the voice pieces of reason who speak truth in times in which that way is very likely able to be deceptively changed. So glad my dad kicked in my door one day. Well, it had that sound, you know, that only a father can do. And I'm at that time a 30-year-old man But I was his son, and he said, what are you doing? Rich, what are you doing? And I know I can raise like, ooh, what did you do? He saw me going in a direction in which a relationship that I was leaning into was not lining up with the way that he saw my life. And so he just cut me to the quick. It was just a fatherly interjection. And I am so glad I listened to dad. So glad. So that was a 30 year old. And God can do that at any age. But I am indebted to my dad. He saved me from bleeding out twice. Once in the severity of a cut on my arm and two, in the severity of a cut to my heart. I was the one that made the cut to my arm. He was the one that made the cut to my heart. He saved me both times. I appreciated that. And I will look forward to him And however that fellowship works out in heaven, reviewing the things that he's learned of God as we come into that. I made haste and did not delay to keep your commandments. There you go. That's a Hushai moment. I made haste. That's what Hushai means. He was the hasty pudding guy of David's day. He came to David in a time of an hour of need. And he said, what can I do for you, David? I'm here for you now, but what is it you need me to do? And David said, I need you to go into the city. Zadok and Abiathar, they're defending and seeing that the procedures of the Lord are being followed out. And they're also being ears to me. And they're being voice pieces of my heart to God. That's why I need you. I need you with those brothers. Shall do. That's what that means. Did not delay to keep your commandments. Sometimes the Lord says delay. But this is clearly affirming. Don't delay. Obey. The cords of the wicked have bound me, but I have not forgotten your law, and that's precisely why. The binding of the cords of those who are not aligned with the Lord can prohibit us from free movement to the Lord. David understood what it was like when he made a decision to align himself with the Philistines And he moved into a city that he shouldn't have been in, that was Gath. And he was recognized as being out of place. And he realized his reputation had preceded him. And the only alternative that he felt, and we've talked about this before, was to feign out of mindness. He feigned that he was a wild man, he was insane spitting and drooling and demeaning himself so that knowing that they would find that offensive and also knowing that it would bring a mockery towards him, they booted him out. David equally could have said, You're right, the jig's up, I'm David. And I'm commanding you in the name of my God to open those gates now, because if not, he will break down those gates I'm leaving, don't try to do anything nasty to me. He would have had that power and authority to do that, to walk out of the predicament by calling upon God. If he could have called upon God as a 16-year-old to take down a giant that was nine feet tall, over nine feet, then he could have called upon God to dismantle those gates and release him, and to say, Thank you, Lord, I made a mistake. And so it just depends with regard to how you want God to remove you from a predicament. But we never should dismiss the fact that we can be in predicaments and trust God to get us out of them. And we, we remain settled in that. We remain confident in that. Assured that this is the right way of the Lord. Because we don't belong in the place that we moved into. And I've done that. I mean, I I shared that with you. God didn't want me in it. He provided a way of escape. At 30, my dad was still a big man, (laughs) colonel in the Marine Corps, and a teacher with a master's degree. I was not in the Marine Corps, and I only had a bachelor's degree. (laughs) He had authority over me as a 30-year-old. To tell me the way that I needed to go. Because the wicked have bound me, but I have not forgotten your law. At midnight, I will rise to give thanks to you. Because of your righteous judgments, I am a companion of all those who fear you. And of those who keep your precepts. What a great word. Who is our companionship with the world system and friends of the world? Or is it with the family of God and the friends of God? This is always your best choice. Even if the world says, really, what do you find in them? Really, you could be having fun with us. And for the choice that every person needs to come to terms with, which is this, what side will you choose to be on? Not what you hope will happen if you remain on the other side, but right now presently with what you know of God and what he has done for you and the future that you have yet to be grateful that he's planning for you. My future took a turn I never expected. And there will be people that will assess how did he get there? And all I can say I believe that in every turn that I took, I put my foot in the direction of the way that I should go. That's the only thing I can say. Administratively, people say, how does this church run? God. (laughs) Because I make much of God, little of myself, and I applaud the work of the Spirit in men and women that are doing what God put on their heart to do. It's, it's been very easy. Some churches are not so easy. But part of it is that the titles I already see on your foreheads or in your hearts. You are what God has said you are. And your giftings are evident to me. So unless there's something that says, you're not on course anymore, you've changed direction, then I let it play out, and it's rather exciting to see what God will do. It doesn't mean I'm ignorant. It doesn't mean that I don't have a vision that I stay firm on. But it means I make much of God, little of myself, and I acknowledge the giftings and talents that God has equipped the body with. Whether there's two or three or a thousand that may fill this place, one day it doesn't make any difference to me in terms of my belief that God's in charge. And one day I will move from this position But I don't know when that is. I just know that's the course of life. There are changes that take place. I was watching and have been enjoying uh, Bible teachings with Everest and going back and listening to John Corson. And he gave me a cue. Uh, I said, okay, so what year was that? Uh, Okay, so it was, that was, um, that was 2003. Okay, that was 2002. And said, I remember that. I remember that teaching in full. But I look back in John, and he's different. He's younger by about 23 years. And so I was trying to place him. He said in one of those, he goes, I'm, I think he said, I'm, I'm 53. And I know exactly how old I was. I'm about four years behind him. So I was just coming into my 47th year. He turns in March, I turn in May. And I was going, wow, is that what we look like? And now I look at pictures of myself and go, is that what I look like? But what I enjoyed was reflecting back on the fact that John has kept to the plow through many hardships. The loss, he in this teaching reflected on the loss of his daughter Jessie at 16. And I remember when she went to be with the Lord in heaven, I was in Mexico. That was about 1993, I think. I remember that very well, the trauma. But I remember John, not traumatized. He was supercharged to keep his place. Before that, which, in which I did not know John, he had lost his wife, Terry, in an automobile accident that he came out of. And then, of course, this was in advance of Peter John. But he was talking about Peter John, how blessed he was with Peter John. And the next teaching, he was talking about Ben, how blessed he was that his Ben, being about a 16 year old, was teaching high school Bible studies. I was listening to this heritage, this lineage of faith being exercised in a man who has suffered much, but you never see it. So, pretty awesome. How can that be? According to the Word according to the value that you place on the word and the person and author the authenticator of your life being the source of who you are and everything that you are no matter what changes take place oh i'll fight the changes i think it's a losing battle i can kind of see it my twin brother's doing really good though if you see him uh, he was always the bigger twin now i'm the bigger twin (laughs) His diet's working, mine's not. I tasted what he's eating. I'm going, yeah, that's not for me, Rob. It's working for him. He's cut like 30 pounds off. So now I'm the bigger twin. So I laugh at it. I finally get to be the big. I was the wiener pig when I was born. There was no milk left for me. He hogged it all. So I made haste and did not delay. May that be a word. We make haste and we do not delay. in what we know God has given for us to do for the purpose of securing a future that he has planned for us. At midnight, I will rise to give thanks because of your righteous judgments. I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. The earth, verse 64. Oh Lord, is full of your mercy. Taking A step back and observing all of the occasions in which the fullness of God is displayed in his mercy, full of it. Teach me your statutes. Teach me by binding force your statutes. Statutes mean binding force, meaning that if you're asking God for those things, guess what? He's strong enough to keep you in that. In your weakness, his power is made perfect. Why are we weak at times? That his power may be perfect. But his precepts establish the fact that it's a binding force upon our life, meaning you're not going to be able to wiggle out of it like some think you will or what the enemy whispers to you, you shall. It's God keeping you in the way that he wants you. And that's a good thing. We kept Karis where we wanted her when she was born. We learned how to make a baby burrito out of Keras she was the one that required it the most and there were times in which I made her into a taquito cause she was a wiggler and I learned how to make her into a taquito it wasn't just a baby blanket for her (laughs) In verse 65, you have dealt well with your servant. Tell the Lord tonight, you've dealt well with your servant. You identify who you are before him and that he is indeed your friend. And he's dealt well with you. Even though we may think we've been dealt a bad hand, that's a card term. It is not true. He's dealt well with us. And he loves to hear it even as fathers and mothers Love to hear their children inventory, how they have been dealt with well by the Lord and to through us. O oh Lord, according to your word, teach me, verse 66, good judgments and knowledge, for I believe your commandments. Teach me how to do things really good. Make good judgment goals. Verse 67, this is why affliction happens. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Why are broken, broken hearts aloud. Because before I was afflicted, I so easily went astray. What does it do? It provokes us to come back to the basics again. We always get to return to a repeat lesson of something that we knew better before and lost somewhere along the way. Affliction is God's way of allowing us to call upon him and trust him more. Going to the land of promise, I hurt my knees severely, couldn't even kneel. And by increments, the Lord touched my body and healed me. But it's been now over a year. And now I can say, wow, Lord, in this year, you've allowed me to walk again without pain. I was afflicted. Why was I afflicted? The potential of me going astray. I do believe that's true. Pride can get in the way. A variety of things can get in the way. He slows you down. He allows that agony to be the reason that you'll talk to him with greater frequency, humility, sincerity, passion, as you once did. I keep your word. That's the outcome. I keep your word because I know that that's the best for me. Verse 68, something that we also can say to the Lord, you are good and do good. The world's saying, bad God bad God and this word from the psalmist is oh you're good and you do good and he's good all the time that was a great phrase that came out of the movie God it's not dead God is good all the time God is good the proud have forged a lie against me but I will keep your precepts with my whole heart Verse 70, their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in your law. This isn't the fat of the offering of the Lord. It's the rotting fat of the culture. I was surprised, but we had a grease trap in Mexico, and when you pull the top off of that thing, it's really difficult to discern, is that just a grease trap? Because it smells like some other things. Really? Bad fat. But God actually takes that As an offering, meaning that in scriptures, what he chooses to take, which is bad for us, is that which has no consequence to him whatsoever. So sometimes we say, ah, I'm eating the fat of the land. And God says, yeah, I want you to be a little bit leaner. I want you to have a spiritual diet that's different than your fleshly carnal inclinations. And we're talking about that. We're not talking about different kinds of foods. God's blessed all kinds of foods. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, verse 71, that I may learn your statutes. Do we say that? Oh, it's good that I'm afflicted. I do have several brothers that I admire deeply because I never hear about them griping in their affliction. They let me know where they're afflicted and their bodies are broken. But one of the things that they live by, it is good for me that I have been afflicted. They live a legacy of teaching in their sufferings about how not to be a whiner. So when I start whining, I'm going, man, I remember that brother, how strong he was in his faith. That I'm, And by the way, women, too. It's both. I've admired so many that have demonstrated that type of suffering. That I might learn your statutes for 72. Closing the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. In our economy, gold and silver does help. But the psalmist here closes in 72, saying the law of your mouth is better to me than the revenue that could do a lot for me. That's better. Lord, you can have my revenue, but I must have your law from your mouth. The law again, those things that you teach me, the directions you give me, the opportunities for obedience that please you.